welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I am glad to welcome my youngest son to our ministry team. Josh is one of the teaching pastors at Summit Church in Naples, Florida. Now take your Bibles and let's listen to God's Word together. Uh, if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to be in Psalms 25 that like Jeremiah mentioned. You can turn there. And we're continuing our series and the different postures that we can have as we approach um, the Lord. And we're using the book of Psalms in order to do that. And so the posture that we're going to have today is the posture of humility. And we're going to use Psalms 25 in order to kind of process through that. Um, we're not going to be in the whole book of Psalms 25. We're only going to be in the first 15 verses. So we're going to read that up front. Um, and after reading that, we're going to take time to dive into it, examine it, and then apply it to our lives. And so this is a Psalm of David. And so let's read together Psalms 25, verses 1 through 15. It says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let, me, let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me, for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever towards the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. And so as we approach humility today, um, there's a lot of different angles that we could go. A lot of different things that we could talk about in regards to humility. But based on our sermon series, uh, we're going to talk about humility as we approach God. As we come to him, how can we have humility in our relationship with him, a posture of humility? And how we're going to define humility is, is Brandon Dilbert defines it in a great way. And so this is what I mean today when I say humility, is that true humility is to see ourselves as we actually are, fallen in sin and helpless without God. And so when we come before God in a, in a posture of humility, what we're seeing, and we're seeing ourselves as we actually are, fallen in sin and helpless without God. And so the goal of the sermon today isn't to blow up your (laughs) self-esteem. That's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is for you to actually see who you really are and and understand the fact that you are fallen in sin and that you are helpless. I am helpless without God. And in the Bible, it talks about humility and kind of the contrast to humility is sinful pride. So pride is the opposite of humility. See, what sinful pride is, is believing that you can do everything on your own. Believing that you have the ability to to lead and guide yourself. Believing that you have the strength in order to walk this Christian life. Believing that you maybe don't even need God. And you can save yourself on your own. And this pride naturally wells up within us. 
But the Bible warns against pride and it encourages us to take the posture of humility. Look what it says in James chapter 4. This is the second half of verse 6. It says, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes sinful pride thinking we can do this on our own. We don't need him, but instead he gives grace to the humble, recognizing our need for him, our helplessness without him. And even though I think humility is one of the the harder virtues and the postures for us to have, we see that there is great reward and benefit in the Christian faith when we have humility. Different pastors and theologians have talked about the importance of humility. Listen to what John Newton says, right? The famous writer of Amazing Grace. Look at what he says about love and humility. He says, I am persuaded that love and humility are the highest attainments in the school of Christ and the brightest evidence that he is indeed our master. That when we display love and humility, he said, it's the highest attainments in the school of Christ. And man, the brightest evidence that he is your Lord. Jesus is your master when you live a life of humility and love. And the great theologian Jonathan Edwards says, nothing sets a person so much out of the devil's reach as humility. In his mind, the devil is farthest away from us when we continue to have this posture of humility, that we are helpless, that we're fallen in sin, and we need God. And so what we're going to do is we are going to examine what Psalms 25 talks about with humility. And because humility, humility is a struggle for us, because it often is pushing against our natural pride, what, what I want to do today is I want to, to give each of us three prayers that we can pray. My hope is that we'll pray them this morning as we examine the text, but I also hope that you write them down. And these can be prayers that you have towards the Lord, humble prayers, recognizing your need for him. And then connected with each one of the prayers is going to be a posture that we can have in humility as we pray that. So something we can pray with our lips and then a posture of our heart as we pray that to the Lord. And so we're examining three prayers and three postures that are connected with that. So the first prayer that, that we're going to have is this. Prayer number one, Lord, I need you to teach me and lead me because I can't guide myself. Humble ourselves to realize that we need the Lord to teach us and lead us because we can't guide ourselves. Listen to what David says in verses four and five of Psalm 25. He says, make, known, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. So David humbles himself before the Lord. and He says, Lord, I need you. I need you to be the one that, that makes known your ways to me. I need you to teach me what your paths are. I need you to lead me in your truth and teach me. David realizes his dependency on the Lord, that he's unable to teach himself. He's unable to lead himself. He's unable to know the ways of God on his own. And to compete humility and dependency, he says, Lord, I need you. I need you to lead me and teach me because I can't lead and teach myself. Well, one pastor says about this passage as he reads it, he said, it seems like David has the same posture that a child often has towards their parents. That the child will say to the parent, I need you, right? I need you to teach me and lead me. I need you to show me what is right. I need you to guide me in this life. As a child is dependent on a parent to lead them and guide them in the same way it says that David is dependent on the Lord to teach him and guide him in the ways. And as I read that, I was was reminded of a a story in my own life. So most of you know that we have four kids and then we also foster care. So we often have babies and children in and out of our homes. So it seems like over the last 10 years that I've put a crib together and taking it down about a thousand times, right? It seems like 
pretty often I'm putting the crib up, I'm taking the crib down. That's kind of a typical routine in our house. And so uh, we had a placement um, recently and I had to put the crib back up again. And so I'm going in there to do it. And then our third child, Aiden, um, came in and he said, Dad, can I help you do this? Can I help you put the crib together? And I'm like, sure, you can help me. And so what do I do? I begin to show Aiden what it means to put a crib together. I begin to teach him how the different slots go together. I begin to show him where the screws go, how to use an Allen wrench. And this entire time, I'm instructing, teaching, and leading Aiden in the steps that it takes in order to put a crib together. And Aiden is humble enough to realize that he can't do this on his own, so he's dependent on me to teach him and lead him and guide him. He doesn't know how to put a crib together, but he's looking to me to show him how to do it. And when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, what we need to do is we need to humble ourselves, put down our pride, and recognize that we need him in this life. We need him to show us how to put the crib together. We need him to lead us and guide us in the steps that we take. And so as we approach this life, we have to have a mindset that, Lord, we, we need you to help guide me. We need him to help guide us and lead us in the big decisions. And the big decisions that affect our lives and affect our families, right? We need his wisdom, rather what relationships to step into and who we marry. We need his wisdom, whether we're going to move across the country and take a job. We need his wisdom of what university that we're going to go to. We need his wisdom on how we're going to raise our kids and what school we're going to send them to. We need wisdom on these big decisions as we go to the Lord. And we need to have a humble posture of teach us and lead us in the direction that I go here. I'm dependent on you. I think a lot of us would recognize we need him in the big decisions. But not only do we go to him in those things, but we also go to him in the smaller decisions of our lives as well. That we humble ourselves to realize, well, we need you to lead me in the small things. We need you to teach me and guide me on the things I should think about or not think about. We need you to teach me on how I should respond to a coworker that is hard. We need your wisdom on how to spend my money and how to spend my time. We need wisdom on how I should show up to work every day. We need your wisdom on how I should rejoice when things go well. I need your wisdom and how I should suffer rightly. I need your wisdom every moment in the small decisions. You must lead me and teach me because I cannot guide myself. And even though this is the posture that David tells us, and even most of us would recognize, I think if we examine our lives, we, we often don't think we need the Lord. Our pride comes up within us and we actually think that we can make the right decisions on our own. We feel like that we don't have the time to go to the Lord on these matters. We feel like that we have everything figured out. We don't need him. We don't want to consider what he has to say. We don't want to consider how it impacts other people. And so we say, listen, I know what my heart wants. I know my desires and I'm going to allow those to lead me and guide me in this life. Or I'm going to allow my logic. I'll think through the situation enough that then I will know what steps to take. And so we find ourselves jumping in the driver's seat of our lives, going down a path that we and we alone make the decisions, right? We know ourselves better than anyone else. So let me make the decision. Let me figure out what I want to do here. And so we head down this road, moving in a direction that if your heart wants it, if your mind thinks it's good, we make the decisions that we want to make when we make them. And we ignore God, we put him on the back burner, and we say, we've got this. Our pride wells up within us. And if you find yourself going down that path today, if you find yourself making decisions based on your own logic or your own desires, the question I want to ask you is, how is that going for you? How is your life going when you're the one in the driver's seat? 
Because based on my own experience, based on the conversations that I've had with people, I'm pretty confident that it's not going very well. You're probably confused. You're probably frustrated. You're probably uncertain. You probably have no idea what is next. And even though in our own desires, and our own logic, we think make good decisions, we think that's what's best, the Bible actually warns us against that. It warns us against making these decisions based on what we think is best in the moment. Look what it says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. We actually mentioned this verse a week or so ago. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? So the heart, our heart, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so what that means, that means that if you go after something because your heart desires it, that means that you are allowing something that is desperately sick and deceitful to lead you and guide you in those decisions. Regardless of what every Disney movie told us growing up, right? Regardless of what we learned from when we were a kid, our heart's desire, doing what we want to do, following our heart is actually a really bad idea. Because when we follow our heart, we are following something that is deceitful and desperately sick. We can't understand it. We have to acknowledge this and not allow ourselves to be driven by believing our heart knows what's up. We have to submit to what scripture says. It's desperately sick, deceitful. We can't fully understand his motives. And for those out there that's like, listen, I get that. I don't follow my heart's desire. I don't do that. I follow logic, right? I think through situations. I strategize. I consider all the options. And then I'm educated enough to make a decision. Well, if that's you, Let's not forget what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, when it says, do not lean on your own understanding. Because even your understanding is flawed. Even your logic doesn't consider everything. We can't be dependent enough to listen to our own logic understanding as we make decisions. We have to be willing to humble ourselves before the Lord and say, God, I need you to teach me and lead me. I can't guide myself. My heart is desperately sick. I can't lean on my own understanding. I need you to guide me and lead me. This is the humble posture that the Lord calls us to. Or excuse me, the humble prayer. And then how is it, what posture is connected to that prayer? Is this. The humble posture as we pray that is, I will trust and wait on the Lord. Listen to what David says in verse one and then the bottom half of verse five. He says in verse one, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, in you, I trust. He says, I trust you, God, right? Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. I I trust you. My soul trusts you, Lord. I lift up my soul to you. And he says at the end of verse five, he says, for you, I wait all the day long. Lord, I need you to teach me. I need you to lead me. I need you, God, and I will wait for you. And so as we pray this prayer to the Lord, God, I need you to guide me. I can't guide myself. Our posture is a posture of waiting for the Lord and trusting in him. And then go back to the analogy with Aiden, right? What does Aiden do as we put that crib together? Aiden waits for me. He waits for me to give him instructions. He'll bring something to me. Do we need this? Not right now. I'll let you know, buddy, when we need that. And he waits for me to tell him what steps to take. And ultimately, he has to trust that I know how to put a crib together. 
He has to trust that what I tell him to do is actually what's best and will get the crib put up. He has to trust me and he has to wait on me. And in a greater way, as we live this life, we have to wait for the Lord. We have to trust that he knows what path to lead us on. We have to trust that he knows how to guide us. We have to trust him, trust his character, trust that he is sovereign and that we are not. And then we wait for the Lord. We wait for him to lead us and instruct us. We wait for him to tell us what moves to make. We humble ourselves, trusting and waiting on the Lord. And you might be wondering, well, how do we do that? Or how do we trust the Lord? And how do we wait for his instructions? It's actually really simple. We go to God's word. This is God's word to us. Speak, spoken to us, breathed out by God. And so we go here. We say, Lord, I trust your word and I trust what it says. So I will look at it. I will meditate on it. I will read it. I will apply it to my life. I will go to your word to lead me and guide me. I'll go to your word because I trust what it says and I'll wait to listen to what your word says before I make these decisions big and small. And it seems so simple, doesn't it? But How often do we neglect reading God's word? How often do we go weeks or even months without opening it up on our own? And how often do we, our pride swells up that we think we don't need to know what that says. I've got this. It's God's word that leads us and guides us. We wait on the Lord. So we pray that prayer and our posture is, Lord, I'm waiting for you. Instruct me. I trust you. And we look to God's word for the decisions in our lives. So what does it look like for you today to repent of leading and guiding yourself? What does it look like for you today to acknowledge that you don't have the wisdom, that you don't have the understanding to know everything, submitting to the Lord? What does it look like for you in your specific situation to trust the Lord, to wait on him and make decisions based on his word versus your heart's desire or what's best for you in the moment? We're called to have a humble posture of allowing the Lord to lead us and guide us, understanding that we can't do it ourselves. And so that's the first prayer. The second prayer we see here is, Lord, I need you to pardon me of my sin because I can't pardon myself. Look what David says here in verse 11 of Psalms 25. He says, for your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. David actually mentions this several times throughout the psalm, but he acknowledges his need for the Lord. He acknowledges his need for forgiveness. He knows that in order to have his sins forgiven, that he needs the Lord to pardon him. David recognizes that he is a sinner. He recognizes that he's sinned against God, that he's disobeyed his commandments, that he has done the things that he shouldn't do. And he says that my sins are great. Lord, you alone can pardon me. You alone can forgive me of my sins. And David humbles himself before the Lord, putting down his pride. He realizes that he can't earn his own salvation, that he can't save himself. There's not enough good works that he can do. He acknowledges that he is a sinful human being and the only hope that he has of being pardoned, of having his sins forgiven, is if the Lord forgives him of his sins. And we too must have the same mindset and the same humble approach before the Lord that we recognize that we, have, we are great sinners and the only way that we can be forgiven and pardoned is by the Lord. We can't do it ourselves. And we see that the way the Lord did that, how he was able to forgive us and pardon of our sins is through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That you and I, because of our sinfulness, right, we are unrighteous, unholy before God. We're imperfect. And because God is a perfect human being, 
He requires perfection to enter into his presence. And in our helplessness, he sent Jesus as our great substitute. God himself came down and was our substitute in our righteousness. He lived the perfect life we couldn't live. He was sinless. He was fully holy on our behalf. But then he went to the cross again as our substitute, experiencing the death and the separation and the punishment that you and I deserve because of our sins. Jesus took that before him. He died for our sins, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead three days later, conquering death, conquering sin, and conquering the enemy. And the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We recognize that we can do nothing, but Jesus did everything. He did all the hard work and we just have a responsibility to trust and believe, to acknowledge that we are sinners, to acknowledge that we are helpless, repent of our sins and look to Jesus, trusting him as our Lord and Savior. And when we do that, we too can have our sins forgiven. We too can be pardoned of our great sins against the Lord. When we humble ourselves, trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior and acknowledge we need him. So that's the first step Everyone in this room has to make the first decision. The only one who can make it is you. Are you willing to humble yourself? Are you willing to trust that Jesus did everything necessary to save you of your sins? Are you willing to embrace him as your Lord and as your Savior? That's the decision that you and you alone must make. And the good news is, is that most of you in this room have made that decision. Most of you have acknowledged that there's nothing you can do on your own, that you are unrighteous, that you are unholy, and you need Jesus to save you from your sins, to give you his righteousness, and to bring you into the family of God. Praise God for that. Praise God. But often what I think what happens is we acknowledge that we need him to save us from our sins. But then when we think about walking the Christian life, whether this is misconception or our own pride, We think it's up to us. We think it's up to us to be strong enough to walk this life and not give in to sin. We think it's up to us to produce good works on our own. We think it's up to us to grow to be more like Jesus. We think it's up to us to reach some level of righteousness. And so what we do is we place this responsibility on our shoulders and we think it is up to us. We are the ones that are responsible of getting our lives together and living good works out on our own. It's as if we think Jesus pardoned us, right? We think that he rescued us from prison. We feel like he's, he's rescued and saved us. But now that we are walking as a free men and free women, it's up to us to show that we were worthy of the salvation that he gave us. It's up to us to, to produce these good works. It's up to us to reach some level of righteousness on our own. And we put the burden upon us and we think it's up to us to muster up enough strength to be a good believer, to be a good Christian, to live to a certain level of righteousness. And when we have this mindset, and there's so many consequences that follow that. So when we think that it's up to us to produce our own righteousness, our own good works, when things are going really well in the Christian faith, when we're conquering sin, when there's a lot of victories, man, we begin to get prideful within us. Look how great I am. And we begin to look down at other people who are struggling with sin. Or the opposite, when we find ourselves in sin, when we find ourselves getting tripped up by sin that we don't think that we should, and we go into the deep hole of shame and guilt and depression, thinking, man, I should be so much better than this. We interact with other people. It, it causes us not to be vulnerable and open with our struggles because in our mind, good Christians don't struggle with sin. 
in our mind, good Christians reach a level of righteousness that they no longer give into the temptations of sin. And so we have to guard ourselves with other people. We can't let them into our messes. And so we'll talk about our struggles, but we'll talk about them in the past, right? We gather for community group, one-on-one, Bible studies. We'll talk about struggles, but they're past struggles that we've already had victory over. But the current struggles, the current things that we're dealing with, we won't be open about that because then it's going to be exposed that we're not as good as we should be. Then people are going to realize that our level of righteousness isn't the level we want it to be or we want to present that it is. And even our relationship with God becomes a roller coaster. When things are going great, when you're conquering sin, that means God's happy with you. He's smiling. He's glad. He's pleased with you. Everything's going well in your relationship. But when you fall into that sin, man, then God's just disappointed. Then God's frustrated. God's angry. And God is wringing his fingers in heaven going, seriously, I saved you from your sins. And this is how you repay me. Because we want to believe that within ourselves that we can produce a level of goodness and righteousness. And we want to show other people we can do this, right? We're strong enough to walk this life. And I'll be honest with you. Even as your pastor, this is something that I struggle with. On a regular basis, I hope when you see me, whether it's up on stage, one-on-one, in community group, I hope, I want you to look at me and go, man, That is a guy whose marriage is clicking on all cylinders. That's a guy that knows how to disciple his kids and raise them and instruct them in the Lord. That is what a good father is. I want you to think, man, the the petty temptations of sin, and Josh doesn't deal with those anymore. He's beyond that. He's reached a level of righteousness that falling into sin is beneath him. I want you to believe when I lead at the capacities that I lead, that I lead with confidence. I'll leave with assurance and I never have to question the decisions that I make. I've reached the level. My own pride. I want to be able to produce a level of self-righteousness that you see, that you believe that about me. Because that makes me feel a lot better. But the reality is those things aren't true. I have struggles within my marriage. And I'm constantly going to my wife repenting of not loving herself sacrificially like I'm supposed to. That I fail my kids to raise them, instruct them in the way of the Lord. I'm not nearly as good of a dad as I want to be. That I still, on a regular basis, trip into the temptations of sin, and I fall into sin more than I ever would want to admit. And when I lead in the capacities that I lead, I don't lead with confidence often. I leave with insecurity, lack of confidence, just hoping that it will turn out better than I fear that it will. Man, why is that so hard for me to say? Why is it so hard for us to admit? Because I have to acknowledge to you and you have to see that I am a weak man. You have to see that I have great weaknesses. And I have to acknowledge, humble myself and acknowledge, I just don't need Jesus to save me from my sins. I need Jesus to empower me and give me the strength even as I walk this Christian life. That there is no good within me in and of myself. That I need Jesus to work within me, to sanctify me, and to grow me in Christ-likeness. I need him every single moment of every day. I don't need him just to pardon on my sin to save me. I need him 
to continue to forgive me of my sins and strengthen me as I walk the Christian life. The Bible actually talks about this. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look what Paul says. He says, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, listen to this in verse 30, because of him, you who are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So that as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You realize what Paul is saying here. He says, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you've accepted him, if you've embraced him, if your sins are forgiven, that means any wisdom you have is from him. That means your righteousness from him. That means your sanctification, meaning you become more like Jesus, is from him. That means your redemption being brought back into the family of God, staying in the family of God, it's him. So that no one may stand before the prince of God and boast. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. In the humble posture, we must continue to fight in our lives. The prayer that we must pray is, Lord, I need you every moment of every day. I need you to sanctify me, to become more like Jesus. I need you to to forgive me of my sins. I need to remember that your righteousness is now my righteousness. Like, I need you. I can't boast in anything. Humble myself to recognize there's no good within me on my own. I need Jesus every moment and every step of the way. He's my redemption. He's my righteousness. He's my sanctification. He is my wisdom. I have nothing to boast about. We have nothing to boast about. And so we pray to the Lord, I need you to pardon me on my sin because I can't pardon myself. And the humble posture that goes along with that prayer is that my eyes are ever towards the Lord. My eyes are always locked on the Lord. Let's read verses 11 down to 15. It says, For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being. The other translation says, His soul shall abide with ease. If your sins have been pardoned, If you're forgiven in Christ, your soul can abide with ease. And his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. If your sins have been pardoned, God is your friend. He's not a friend that pushes you away when things are hard, but he draws you in, in your struggles and in your hardships. He makes known to them his covenant. Then he says, my eyes are ever towards the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. David recognizes that his sins are great. He needs the Lord to pardon him, but he also recognizes that his eyes need to continue to be before the Lord. He realizes that he doesn't just need him for salvation, but my eyes are ever before you. My eyes are looking to you. My eyes are fixed on you. I need you, right? My soul can, can rest with ease that you're my friend and my eyes will be locked on you. And he goes, my eyes are ever before you, for you will pluck my feet from the net. Net throughout the Bible is often referred to as temptation. And so what David is saying here is he has fallen into temptation. He has fallen into sin. He finds himself in the snares of sin. And notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to cut the net on my own. I'm going to wiggle my way out. I'm going to fight in order to I make it to the top. No, he acknowledges I'm caught in sin And Lord, my eyes are before you. 
My eyes are ever on you. You are the one that needs to pluck me from this. I need you. I'm dependent on you to rescue me from my sin. I need you, God, even after my sins have been pardoned. Because what does that mean? That means when when we're living in victory, when, when things are going well in our life, when we're overcoming sin, our pride doesn't well up because our eyes are ever before the Lord, recognizing that we need him even when things are well. And when things are hard and we've fallen into sin and we're struggling, we can be open and real with our struggles, open and real with our sins because what defines us is not our struggles. What defines us is our relationship with God and the righteousness that he gives us. And so, yes, we repent of those sins, but then we put our eyes to the Lord, knowing that our soul can rest with ease, knowing that he is our friend. And we lock him saying, Lord, give me the power and the strength to overcome this sin, to overcome this temptation. I need you in the good times and in the bad. And let me, I want to make it clear, like as believers, as Christians, we have a responsibility to do good works. We have a responsibility to grow in Christ-likeness. We have a responsibility to keep his commandments. That is our responsibility as believers. Christian, we should be growing in that every single day, every single moment. We should be growing in good works and keeping his commandments and becoming more like Jesus. But it's not up to you to do that. You have a God who empowers you because of the work of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that he will empower you in your good works. He will empower you as you have victory. He will empower you as you walk this Christian life. You don't need to be prideful to think it's up to you. You can humble yourselves in recognizing your need for him and any goodness within you, any victory you have, it's because of the grace of God. I love how Presbyterian pastor Charles Hodge says, listen to this. He says, Christian humility does not consist in denying what there is of good in us, but in an abiding sense of ill desert and in the consciousness that what we have of good is due to the grace of God. Any good that we have within us, any victories that we have, any things that we can celebrate, it's all because of God's grace within us. What does it look like for you today to take that burden off your shoulders that is up to you to produce good works and righteousness? And what does it look like for you to lock your eyes on Jesus, to humble yourself, to acknowledge your need for him, to recognize that you need him from start to finish in every way in the Christian faith, to look to him for the power and the strength to be the the Christian that he has called you to be? What's it like to repent of your sins and fix your eyes on Jesus? And then the third prayer that we see here is, Lord, I need you to work in my heart to believe that a humble posture is the best posture. Let's read verses six through 10. David says, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. So David does is David locks his eyes on who God is. Three times he talks about the steadfast love of the Lord. We, we talked about that last week. Jeremiah did that, the consistent love that God has towards us. 
that his love towards us isn't based on seasons. It's not based on well we're doing, how bad we're doing, on what mood he's in. That God's love towards us is consistent. It is steadfast because of the righteousness of Jesus. He reminds himself of the faithfulness of God, that he is a God who is faithful. He talks about the the Lord is good, that he's upright, that he's a God who forgives. He he reminds himself of the character of God. And look what he says in verse 9 and 10, right? He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. What we need to embrace is that the humble posture that, that we have towards God is the best posture to have. That a posture of humility is the best posture in our lives because it's the humble that he leads in what is right. It's the humble that he teaches his ways. Humility is not a posture that is second best. Beloved, it's the best posture to have because when we humble ourselves before the Lord, when we acknowledge him, put down our pride, we're taking our lives out of the hands of a finite sinful being and we're putting it into the hands of a God who has steadfast love, a God who is faithful, a God who forgives, and a God that is good and upright. The best posture of your life is a humble posture before the Lord, always recognizing your need for him. And so the humble prayer goes with a humble posture, is that you are a good God, and I'm weak and always in need of you. You're a good God, I am weak, and I'm always in need of you. So I think often what we want to do is that we want to think we'll get to a point in our lives that we don't need the Lord anymore. Just like Aiden hopes to one day be able to put a crib together without my help, right? He wants to be able to, to do everything without me. He wants to work out of needing me to lead him and guide him. And the reality is, I feel like that's almost every other area of our lives, right? We're trying to work to a point that we don't need other people. We're trying to work to a point that we can be independent. It's naturally engraved within us. And so often when it comes to our relationship with God, that's what we're always trying to do. Work ourselves out, uh, work ourselves to the point that we don't need him anymore. But what we need to acknowledge is that we always will need the Lord. That might be fine in other areas, like putting a crib together, but that's not where the Lord calls us. The Lord reminds us that we always will need him every moment of every day. You will never outgrow your need for the Lord. You will always be dependent on him. And we must humble ourselves to acknowledge that to him. Put down our pride and say, Lord, I'm always going to need you. And stop trying to fight within our souls to get to a point that we don't need him anymore. The best place we can be is a humble posture before the Lord. And so as we think through the passage today, as we think through the sermon, how how is God calling you to respond? What does it look like for you to allow the Lord to lead you and guide you, to teach you what is right? What does it like for you to trust the Lord and wait for him to instruct you? What is it like for you to first acknowledge that you need him to pardon you of your sins? And then what is it like for you to acknowledge that you need him, even the power and the strength to walk this Christian life? What is it like for you to come to him as your friend, for your soul to rest in the fact that your sins are forgiven? And put your eyes ever before him, needing him to pluck you from the net. And then what is it like for you to embrace the humble posture as the best posture? What does it mean for you to acknowledge your weakness and continue to remind yourself, I am weak and I am need of him. And that's a good thing. That's the best place for me to be. Like I mentioned earlier, humility can be hard. 
It's one of the hardest things. We're always fighting our own pride, believing there's more good within us than there is. And if that's you, if you're fighting that inside of you, my encouragement to you would be to go to the Lord. Go to the Holy Spirit. The good news is that not only does God save us from our sins when we place our faith in him, but the Holy Spirit dwells within us and actually empowers us in this life and gives us the strength to follow the Lord. So say, Holy Spirit, I need you to remind me that humility is the best posture. I need you to to give me the strength to look to you, to lead me and guide me, to wait, to listen, to trust. I need you to remind me of my need for you. Plead to the Holy Spirit. Ask him to work within your heart to give you a posture of humility. And another reason why posture of humility is the best posture, because that was the posture of Jesus. When Jesus came down to earth, God himself, he came in the posture of humility. Tell us about this in Philippians chapter two, verse eight. It says, being, form, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That when Jesus took on his human form, he humbled himself. That he acknowledged that he said, Father, I will allow you to lead me and guide me. He acknowledged that the humble posture was the best posture. And he was humble even to the point of death on the cross. That he submitted to the will of the Father even to the point that it cost him his life. And he humbled himself to save worthless, sinful human beings like you and I. That he considered us more important than himself. And he was humble enough to die for our sins so we could have his righteousness, so we could have his forgiveness, so we could be brought in to the family of God. Jesus displayed the posture of humility. It's the best posture to have. Even as we gather like we do every week with communion, it's a physical reminder of what Jesus did. He humbled himself to the point of death, willing to die for our sins so that we could be saved. And so as we gather here, as we close the service, we're reminded with communion all that Jesus did to save us and redeem us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a piece of bread and he broke it in front of his disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took a cup of wine. He said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And when you gather, when we gather in the future, do this in remembrance of me. Take bread and break it. Reminded that my body was broken. Take the wine or juice and be reminded that my blood was shed for you, that I humbled myself and took on death so that you could be forgiven and live forever with me. So what a sweet reminder this morning as we gather for communion to remember that, to acknowledge that. And so the way we do it here at Summit, if we have two tables in the front, two in the back, you can come up and take a piece of bread, you can dip it in the juice and be reminded of the sacrifice you're your God made to forgive you of your sins. For those who are in Christ, who've, who've accepted them, humbled themselves and embraced them, this is for you. For those who have not accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, we ask that you not take up communion for that's for those who've accepted him, but instead our invitation to you is to embrace Jesus. I hope in my prayers you would see the love that your God has towards you today and that you will humble yourself, put down your pride, realize you can't save yourself. And embrace the God who can pardon you of your great sin. And if that's you, I would love to talk to you today. Anybody with a name tag, but even in the back of the room, Jeremiah will be back there. One of our pastors who would be willing to pray for you. Willing to talk to you about more of what it means to know Jesus. But the prayer is not for just for those who want to accept Christ. But if anyone in this room is struggling today. If you're struggling with 
with being humble before the Lord, if you're struggling with the many issues that you might have and you want someone to intercede for you, to pray for you, man, we would be honored to do that. So head back in the room and receive the prayer that your soul needs. So how is God calling you to respond to his word today? The tables are open. When you're ready, take your time, come and take. Praise God for his humble approach to us. And praise God, he gives us the strength to be humble. The tables are open. Come when you're ready.